You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Good morning and welcome to the Hospitality Profit with Rick Bra. Today, financial consultant Rick Bra is joined by our Senior Director of Communications and Technology, Lex Nepomuceno. Just some housekeeping here. We are recording this and we're going to post it to our YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcasts later on today. We're also going to include Rick's slideshow if you want to see those. I know we get a lot of requests for them while we're on the air. Um, We're also going to take questions today. So if you have a question for Rick, go ahead and type it in the Q&A section of your Zoom screen. And finally, we would like to say a very special thank you to HR Solutions for sponsoring this webinar. Uh, If anyone in the audience would like to learn more, visit Visit wahospitality.org and click on the member savings tab. And now I am going to hand this off to Rick and Lex. Morning. Morning. Well, I think uh, a lot of our members are uh, still going through a lot of struggles these days uh, with the rising costs. Uh, uh, there's really no relief in sight. Um, I think today the, the Fed is announcing another uh, increase um, uh, of the interest rates, which have uh, a butterfly effect. So I think what a lot of our members are wondering, Rick, is, um, is there a light at the end of this tunnel? And <laughs> until we get there, uh, what can we do to help make sure our business uh uh, continues to um, uh, to move forward. Great. I'll, I'll go ahead and launch out here. So we're going to cover several areas today. So our biggest areas that we want to focus on today is really strive for efficiencies to protect margins. Um, while it seems like there's no relief in sight, the uh, unfortunate part of the relief is we think there's going to be a slowdown coming. Uh, we're starting to see some of that even drop off as we speak. So it's going to be very important in the second half of the year and then going into Q1 and Q2, strive for efficiencies to protect margins. So I want to discuss today reinforcing a hospitality mindset, optimizing the guest experience, menus, operating hours, people, systems, and then lastly, profit. So where are we with hospitality? I think that we're at the beginning again. So back in the 80s, there was a big move towards hospitality because it was really kind of a gap in the restaurant world. And I think that we are actually coming back into that again. I've been doing a fair shake of dining out and I've been really disappointed by uh, the immaturity of the servers uh, the inexperience of the staff, not that warm, engaging hospitality that we're used to getting um, basically through the 2000s and all the way back into the 90s. I think we're with a new generation, we've had to hit reset and at home for a couple of years. And I think that we need to really focus on mastering hospitality. And those that do, we're going to differentiate and win. And my, my uh, good friend, Rudy Mick, That's a technique that he always teaches. And that is first, you have to know, then you have to do, then you can teach, and then you can master. And we want to be masters of hospitality. And that's really the warmth of the guest experience. And the guest is the reason that we exist, not the enemy. The entire ecosystem is built around the guest. And our job as restaurateurs and hoteliers is really to restore the guest. And I think that that is something we need to get back to Uh, as an industry, is focusing on the guest. I've seen too many times where I've gone in around closing time where the staff is really nervous. They look at the guest as though, you know, you're imposing, you know, don't you know we're getting ready to close. 
And I think we need to really refocus on uh, hospitality. As it's as if someone's coming over to your house and you want to take care of them rather than it's an inconvenience and I need to leave them on my way out the door. So I really want to see us get back to drilling hospitality over and over and over with our staff. And that begins with really optimizing the guest experience. So loyalty and marketing, we want to guard that data fiercely. So about 60 and some say up to 80% of our sales come from the same repeat guests. They come in once a week, every other week, maybe once a month, but it makes up a disproportionate amount of sales. So you want to make sure that you're recognizing those people, even if you don't know their name, that you greet them um, if you have a chance to stop by the table, but really make those regulars feel at home there because they're the ones that are out there spreading the word. So they're the ones that put the word of mouth advertising out uh, for the restaurant. And that has about a 92% trust uh, behind it. So people want to go to a place that's recommended. And then our job is to make sure that they come back and then it becomes their restaurant so that they share it with their friends. Because about 20% of those guests are going to move away, buy or get sick of you over a year. So you're going to want to make sure that you are renewing that loyal guest base at all times and you will grow sales astronomical. So that bullet point that says guests love rewards. That's what I'm going towards with a, a loyalty program. Make sure that you're uh, working uh, with a loyalty program. If you're not, I would get on one right away. Just because people like, you know, this goes all the way back to punch cards. They want to, they want to get something. And people that are part of loyalty programs spend at least 28% more than those that don't. And in some cases, we've seen uh, almost a doubling of the sales. They just spend a lot more per visit because they know what they want. They come in more often and it's a great way to grow sales. So the little things in the guest experience matter. Anything that touches the guest needs to be excellent. And it and it's, needs to be all the way down to the salt shaker. Is it clean? Is it wiped clean? Is the table sticky? Is it clean? Does the anything the guest touches or sees, it's got to be excellent to uh, reflect your brand. And that includes your people. So when your people are addressing um, ladies and gentlemen, that's old Ritz-Carlton thing, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. So going back to the basics of greeting the guest um, and being completely in sync with the guest and anything that touches the guest being excellent. So no sticky tables, everything's clean. Make sure your menus are clean. You got proper serving utensils. You got plenty of glassware, all the things that we've been a little bit short on, a little bit shy uh, over the last couple of years to purchase because we didn't know where the industry was going. And now it's time to kind of get back to that, get stocked up. So all the way down to the basics of when they drop the food on the table, just reinforcing the guests that it was a great choice, connect with them. I think that's a big missing piece that we have an opportunity to improve on. It's really connecting with every guest at the table, not just one or two, but every guest at the table. And then open, you're open until you're not closed at. Too many times I've seen breakdowns start way too early in restaurants. So the restaurant closes at nine, you come in at 8.55. So I, I think that we really need to focus on being open until you close not closing right on time. So you can still do a lot of your, your side work ahead of time, but making sure that if you're open until nine o'clock, let's say that you stay open until nine o'clock and it feels great if somebody comes in, even if it's been dead for the last hour, kind of a soft close. That's uh, some of the people in the industry use that term, a soft close. So it doesn't have to be such a hard run the guest out of the restaurant 
you know, we're closing in five minutes. Um, can I get you something to go rather than come on in? We're here to restore you and hope you have a great experience here. So, um, and give the guest control of the experience. Great ticket times. Look at table side ordering. I know that there's some resistance to that. Every time I hear some resistance, it's like, well, I don't want my server looking down and you know, trying to find things on the tablet. Um, I think it's equally distracting if they're writing on a little tablet unless they're memorizing the report, um, the order. So tablet ordering is fantastic because you can actually fire off the drinks to the bar while you're standing at the table. So it's it's a great tool uh, that we. I think as, as time has gone on over the last couple of years, that things have really gotten dialed in with the tablets and, and ordering at the table. And that'll speed up the service. And then lastly, the pay at the table option. I think with limited service restaurants, you want to have an opportunity for them to buy more and then uh, pay and really uh, get out at their speed. So pay at the table is an option, especially in casual and, and limited service restaurants. So some metrics that I would suggest that are uh, managed every day to look at every day, you should look at your table turn speed. Is it getting slower? Is it getting faster? You should look at your check average. Is check average improving? Because that's one of the solid four ways or five ways to build sales. Your sales per seat, are you selling more per seat? Are you occupied? At 100%, are you moving people through? Is the front desk doing their job seating properly? Sales per server, because if that drops off, their tips drop off, and then they start complaining about not making enough money, uh, but making sure that that's a, a metric that you're managing. Uh, and then coaching. So if you've got some underperformers that you can uh, sit down with them and go over their server sequence and make sure that they're uh, following things appropriately and that they're driving their sales. So draw a red line. Here's the underperformers and then go after and coach them. Make sure you're managing your guest feedback on a daily basis and any social, social media reviews you should be in touch with. Around menus, this is a bit of an eye chart, and that's one of the reasons that it'll be coming out the next few slides are that way. But uh, our friend Ed Gorin is a great consultant, spent his life in the restaurant industry, has had done a fabulous job as a consultant um, out of Los Angeles and actually worldwide, uh, kind of coined a term uh, the other day with me, he said, we really need to move to fewer items with fewer people done well. The way to get to this is to take 80% of the products and engineer to gross margin. If you focus on that top 20%, that's going to be your 80% of your sales. Really focus on those items because they're going to be the least resistant to price increases um, and any kind of adjustments. So measure the overall contribution to sales to volume, gross profit, then look at the COGS percentage because we're in a period of inflation. You really want to be driving margin and not be as concerned about percentages as we have been in the past. We'll get back to that at some point, but right now it's really important to be driving margin. In other words, if if a steak goes up $10 a pound, don't try to keep it in line at a you know 30% cost or 33% cost and, and raise it by $30, say, what am I happy with? Can I make an extra dollar or an extra $5, an extra $10? And you take a little bit of hit on the percentage, but you're actually, you're actually earning more. So um, then you take the bottom 20% of your, your sellers, cut them off the menu. I know that scares a lot of people. Then replace half of them with new items that are gross margin friendly. That's an easy way to tweak and optimize your menu. And a lot of the bottom 20 are things that maybe the employees like to eat, or maybe you like to eat as an owner or as a manager. Just keep an eye on those that bottom 20%, and you'll be able to churn your menu over while keeping the things that most people eat. So um, when you're doing that analysis, you're doing that, that engineering, 
you're going to want to make sure that you're working to eliminate a station. That's at all possible so that that can optimize performance. So sometimes that's maybe a station that uh, a um, pantry station that can move towards the line and be accessed by one person rather than two, but really consolidating that menu down to where you can be more focused. So we want to create a really focused menu, fewer items, fewer people done well. Portion everything and cross-utilize every product that you have. You shouldn't have anything that kind of hangs out there by itself. You should be using uh, everything in multiple recipes. But portioning, I think, is the one area of consistency that you can bring to your product cost. Make sure that everything is portioned and it will drive cost out of your uh, ecosystem. Work with your supply chain on excess inventory. So the economy is slowing. Uh, we should start seeing a little loosening up around um, things that are maybe not food related. I think we might have a little reprieve on food, um, but I think it's going to come roaring back in the fourth quarter and into quarter one and two. So um, while supply will drop, um, supply will continue to increase, um, but demand is going to start decreasing. So we should see a little bit of relief there, I believe. Um, but you know, we don't know as Lex started today. Um, if the feds come out and they raise interest rates, which they may have done by now, a significant amount, uh, that could really be a game changer. It could help us kind of keep clicking along or it could help us go backwards. We have dropped off in some cases and slowed down and sales are slowing somewhat. Other area that you need to really focus on increasing check average, and this is kind of a repeat from last section, but session, but make sure that you're watching your beverage menus, that you're adding infusions, that you're adding barrel age, that you're doing more non-alcoholic drinks because they're becoming popular. And then train, train, train. Use the fishbowl where someone comes in on a daily basis. If you sell a lot of cocktails, comes in on a daily basis, goes over and gets a little ticket out of a fishbowl and it has a, uh, a recipe on it. And the bartender simply asks what's in that drink. And then they're on their way for their shift. So use the fishbowl. Servers will sell more when they know what they sell and how, and if they love it. Next on the optimized menus is take a price increase now. It's going to get harder as the economy begins to cool off to take a price increase and in uh, Q3 and Q4, and it has been in Q1 and Q2. So if you haven't taken a price increase or you've taken a small one, take another one now. Uh, but you have to be able to justify it. You can't just um, raise your prices and not do anything to justify it. So you have to make sure the guest understands why that price is there. So bring something to the table. So I'm thinking, you know, things like family meal night, combo, combo meals, give them more, don't discount, don't just raise your prices. So make sure that you're really driving and optimizing your menu so that your check average will go up. You can raise your prices and the guest is getting a better experience. You have to be able to differentiate, differentiate your product and you have to be able to provide superior service and that'll set you apart. The average increase uh, year over year, uh, June over June has been about 7.7%. You can see in that little chart at the bottom, the blue is full service. The red is limited service. You can see early uh, last year, back into June, that the red was rising much faster. So they took their price increase and now they're beginning to cool off where the uh, full service restaurants in blue, they uh, were very, very slow to take their increases and now they're taking them. So you want to make sure that you increase your prices now because it, in the 7.7% increase, in the NRA, we've had 15.6% 
inflation just in the COGS area. So that 7.7 just covers that. It doesn't cover anything else, such as our labor, labor that they think is up 10%. And in our area in Washington state, it's probably up a little bit more than that. So um, w- there's also other increases that have come along with it. So now's the time uh, you've got to get on that price increase if you haven't already. Uh, if you have, you should be thinking of the next one because you, as you get into Q4 and get into Q1 and Q2 of next year, it's going to be more difficult to take that. But we're starting to see a differentiation a lot from restaurants and grocery. And that's the gap I completely expected that restaurant is going to get much more expensive, much more of a treat. And that's why we go all the way back, engaging the guest and providing excellent hospitality because it is getting more expensive. I took uh, two kids and and my wife to fish and chips the other night. It was over $100 just for fish and chips. So uh, that would have been unheard of pre-pandemic, but it is the reality now. So you want to make sure that you're delivering on everything that you uh, deliver to the guest. Tricks to look at on a daily basis. This isn't an overwhelming list, but I would make sure that you're looking at your PMIX every day. What are you selling? I'd make sure you're looking at your COGS pricing. Did something change on the pricing side of things? And then again, measuring your check average. Check average going up. Let's make sure that it is unless you intentionally are pushing it down. As far as hours of operation, you want to optimize those. We're, we are in a time period where uh, the business gets to set the hours rather than the guests set the hours. So in the past, we kind of let everybody tell us when we needed to be open and when we need to be shut. And now you need to really plan your business hours around the capacity of your busy times and the staffing that you forecast. So every hour of every day, you want to be busy when you open, busy when you close, and don't be afraid of odd times. A lot of people are afraid of the 15s, the 30s, and the 45s. It's okay to open at 11.15 or 12.15 or 11.45. You don't have to be um, afraid of odd times. We've t- uh, way too often just stuck to, uh, we got to be open on the hour. We've got to close on the hour, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore because people use their phones when they go out to make sure that you're open, first of all, on that day of the week. And secondly, what time you open, what time you close. So the idea here is really to start your staff fast at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of their shift, so that they stay fast. If they're in a lull, they're going to stay slow. They'll never catch up when the rush comes in. And then fight for every sale at every opportunity because things will begin to slow down. You want to optimize your sales at every opportunity that you can. Not car salesy, but really offering the entire experience to the guest as they come in. You want to make sure that you match your sales and your staffing. You need to chart every day and every sale along with the associated labor costs. Now, we have tools that can do this um, in our company. A lot of people don't. So you're going to have to go to a spreadsheet but you'd optimize the profitability of each shift and don't take a loss via public service. Make sure you peak the peak. If you look at this chart, it's on there. You see that the sales are in blue and the labor is in red. So when the labor dollars are the highest is when the business is the lowest. And the excuse would be, well, we're getting ready for dinner, so on and so forth. But then you turn around and drop back down. Uh, and you also see that, that getting ready for lunch was way too early. We are really wasting dollars when you look at this chart. So your your 
uh, peaking back out at dinner time after the sales have already dropped off, which doesn't make much sense. So this is how I kind of chart out. And you need to do this for every day of the week. You can see this is a Thursday, which Thursdays uh, in my analysis have been the biggest disappointment. For some reason, we always think it's going to be busier than it is. And staffing oftentimes is blowing on a Thursday, sometimes blowing on a Friday, not really blowing that much on Saturday. But Thursdays since tends to be the Achilles heel where we really start staffing up and people are available and we think it's going to be busier than it is uh, and we blow it. So Thursday is a great area to, to uh, look at. That's one of the reasons I pulled up this chart is just to show that Thursdays can be a bit of a, an issue. So as people prep and get ready for the weekend, uh, they have way too much labor on, they can potentially blow the week all in this one day. And make sure that you staff the peak. So the peak in your staffing should be right around the peak of your sales. And in this particular chart, you can see the peak came after lunch and the peak came before dinner. So uh, wasting labor dollars, and I know the excuse is going to be changeover. We have these people coming in, those people going out. In this particular chart, you can see that they still didn't adjust back a couple of hours and peak to peak their labor dollars. So those things should be very, very close to matching up. So metrics to look at when you're optimizing your hours. Sales per meal, meal period. So are you busy at lunch? Or are you slow at lunch? Again, don't be open as a public service. This is a business. It's there to make money. It's there to entertain. Uh, it's there for the employees um, and the guests, but it is not a public service. So make sure that you are optimizing your sales per meal period. Your sales per 15-minute interval intervals, you should be looking at those uh, to see if you need to uh, adjust. And right now is the tricky time of year because in Seattle in particular, it tends to be very seasonal, Silhouette of Mount Rainier. We're already starting to come on the backside of that as we move into August. Things will start dropping off a little bit and we're on the other side of Mount Rainier, starting to come down the backside of the peak uh, in a lot of cases. So uh, you want to make sure that you're watching that very closely because about the middle of September, it's going to drop off. It does every year. It has my entire career. So it drops off every year in the middle of September if you're a seasonal restaurant. So you're going to make sure that you're, you keep your eyes on that and uh, evaluate that. In particularly at the beginning of September, you need to start making your um, staffing adjustments for the winter because you don't want to take all the money that you made in the summer and lose it in September, October. So you want to look at your staffing for 15-minute interval and you want to look at your opening and closing sales. Are you opening at the right place? Are you closed at the right time? So make sure that you match those things up and you look at them on a daily basis so you get in a really good rhythm of what's happening at the beginning and the end of the day. We move on to optimizing your people. And this has been a real sore over the last, um, you know, since coming out of the pandemic. But if you think back prior to that time, it has been for the last 20 or 30 years, we've struggled with, with um, staffing. So the biggest thing with staffing is to make sure that you increase your retention. So keep away from the turnover. The job market is starting to slow. You've seen a lot of the tech companies laying people off. Um, housing will probably start slowing down somewhat as we uh, have higher interest rates. So a lot of the people that have spun out into construction might be looking for additional hours, maybe back to hospitality. So uh, the job market is slowing. And that second bullet point on there, which I think is very interesting, is that personal savings is back to historical normal 
low levels. So everybody that got all of that stimulus, even as late as March, April, still had a bunch of money in the bank. Now it's all gone, according to ITR Economics. And ITR is a great company. If you want to follow them um, and read their blog, uh, always looking ahead. And it's one of the most widely respected companies uh, that I know of in the economic world. And they're very honest and very truthful and trustworthy, in my uh, opinion. Uh, and they put out a study on the 14th that basically said, hey, the, all that stimulus money's gone and the economy's slowing. You need to know your cost of turnover and value retention. It's one of the things that we don't do a great job of is we don't calculate the cost of turnover as we're thinking of people um, and then we get to them too late. So we're a dollar short, $2 short on somebody that, that you know their market level could be a lot higher. And you really need to know what the right wage is. If everybody's paying 25 and you're paying 20, you're not going to get the right people. If everybody's paying 25 and you've got people that you've had with you and they're making 27, 28, that's going to be a real win. So let those people, if they're A players, work overtime to make more money. And if they're engaged, truly engaged, they are three times more efficient. They'll give you a day and a half of productivity um, for a full day of pay. And, a, and if you're disengaged or somewhat disengaged, only a half a day for a full day of pay. So those numbers come from Engagent, uh, which is another great company. So uh, that engagement quotient there, 300% if you're engaged. So make sure you take care of your A players because if you lose them, they can it could take you one, two, maybe three people to replace them. And I think we've all seen that or we've been a little bit too late to the party. So check in with those A players, make sure they're happy, make sure they're making enough money, uh, find out if they've been approached by other people, find out what their friends are saying, but make sure you pay them at a premium and at a minimum, let them work overtime if you just don't have the budget because they're going to give you the same productivity as somebody that works a half a day and they're going to want to get off the clock and get home. Um, You should also think about a profit sharing program to share with your key employees, uh, not bonuses. Bonuses, I think, are a disincentive. I think profit sharing is is an incentive to make as much as you want to make because we're all sharing in it. Look at an alternative workforce. I think that there's some, you know, kind of an older workforce that's like, I'm kind of bored. I'm ready to go back to work. So there's some opportunity. Um, And then work with your vendor partners to prep ingredients and recipes. We're starting to see a lot of this with the more sophisticated operators that we work with, where they are, you know, they're having their soups made, they're having their salsas made, they're having their uh, meat cut, they're having uh, their onions cut, and things have chopped chopped up for them. Their vendors could do it in bulk. Just make sure that you eliminate hours to cover the increased cost. Because when we did this at my first company that I worked at, we thought it was a great idea. We're going to buy all of our onions sliced and we're going to get our peppers diced and we're going to get all our dressings made and our soup's going to come in made and it's going to be, you know, cut, cut, open the bucket and cut the, cut the uh, bag and, and we'll be off and running. The problem is we didn't cut any hours that went with it. They just became less efficient. And right now is the time that you want to optimize efficiency in all the areas of your business. And then automate functions through technology and proven technology um, techniques. That's things like doing sous vide, uh, where you can cook you know, 10 or 12 things at the same time uh, and then reheat them or finish them. Uh, combi ovens, different pieces of technology that can help. Even some robotics in some cases uh, are starting to make their way in. So not a super big fan of a robot delivering food. Cool idea, but not very uh, engaging, Uh, but it is a cool idea and it would help with front of the house. But I don't think we have a real um, server issue 
finding people to uh, serve tables. It's more kitchen is more the pain uh, than the front. So we want to find ways to really help the kitchen because it's not going to get better. It may get a little better, the job market slowing, but it's never been great in the back. So right now, a lot of our clients are fully staffed in the kitchen, which is a little bit scary because as we drop off in sales, they're going to be overstaffed. And that's what happened to technology is they estimated that, you know, the average technology had, had, you know, they were hundred percent overstaffed and a, and a really great company that could attract a lot of talent were three to four times more overstaffed than they needed to be. And as soon as the economy started slowing down, they started laying people off. We want to get ahead of the curve. We want to automate those functions wherever we can automate them with technology. Um, even using technology in a kitchen like KDS, make sure that they're using a kitchen display system to move things along to help them manage a little bit better because we're as we get a uh, um, less experienced workforce, we need to help them more. And technology is a great way to do that. The Achilles heel, I think, in the restaurant industry, we use a lot of support staff, and I really like to see those numbers. You know, between twenty five, right around twenty five percent. So um, a lot of times we'll see one, you know, one, two, three servers and one, two, or three uh, bussers. And I don't think that that's the right ratio. I think you want to have people that can service your guest, um, not just run food around. So um, I think you want to make sure that that everybody is getting cross-trained so that they can step in when they need to. Because that last bullet point on there says, prepare for COVID-19 absences. We are seeing a tremendous amount of absence on the East Coast. They're generally about six weeks ahead of us, places like New York City. So when we discuss this as a team, we really need to get the word out to be ready. And I think um, we're seeing that already where uh, people are missing shifts, but it could get really bad through the fall and the winter. And that's where that repurposing the support staff can really come in, uh, make them more productive, have the front desk, not just um, running people to a table and running back and standing there, but procuring the dining room, being a host, running through and pulling dishes and helping to expo and getting away from just standing at the front desk um, to greet people. They can keep an eye on that door and they can run over and they can greet when they need to. Um, and other people can help greet as well. But turning the front desk into a producer, bussers and runners into producers, help produce revenue. Are they helping to pre-bus? Are they uh, helping to run food. Um, my my biggest fear and my biggest complaint is servers a lot of times take the order every, and then everybody else does the rest and then they kind of drop the ticket um, and pick up the tip. And we really need to make sure that that gets reversed. The servers are actually working with the tables really heavily uh, rather than um, just kind of taking orders. So we need to drive check average at the, at the table. And that comes with the servers being at the table and in their section, pulling their own dishes, pre-bussing, checking in on things several times, not just once. A lot of times we'll see a server once after they've uh, had the food delivered, they should be at the table several times, just kind of listening in to see if anybody needs anything, just like you would at your house. So dish, I think needs to be trained on prep and then prep really needs to cover the line. So Prep needs to move into the shift. And I know the biggest worry about prep is I'll lose my prep cooks if I move their hours around. I think we need to take a fresh look at that and say, if we need to start restaffing that for the business, it's time. Because we shouldn't have just uh, people 
prepping that come in and prep and then they leave, they should be able to hop up on the line and help um, or the people on the line should be prepping as well. And then we should also use those idle moments uh, for portioning, have the back and the front portioning. So the front, they can portion um, items for the kitchen. They just need access to that. So things that, that are okay to come out in the front for portioning, they can help portion as well. Portioning is the biggest control of food cost that there is in the restaurant, I believe. Um, if you have a couple of locations, you can see if one portions and one doesn't. Uh, oftentimes, the one that portions has a better result than the one that doesn't. Uh, make sure that you're matching again to optimize the people back to that chart that I showed a little bit earlier. Make sure you're at uh, matching the hours to the peaks in the business. And that includes the kitchen, not just the front, but making sure that prep is working over the top of those busy times so that they can help out in their cross-train because COVID-19 abscesses are going to be on the rise again. And if you have these people cross-trained in prep and dish uh, and busser and runner, the front desk, they can hop in and they can help and that'll smooth it and optimize the floor. You also want to instill uh, an ownership mentality with them. And I, I wanted to pull some stuff from Amazon because I think they do a really great job around this. So years and years and years ago, they had a holiday party when Amazon was was small enough. And as the story goes, they went to the hall where they were holding the party and they drug in the Christmas tree and they were ready to set it up. And one marketing guy looks at the other and says, hey, what? Uh, where's, the, where's the base? And uh, one looks at the other and says, well, I thought you grabbed it. No, I didn't. I thought you grabbed it. And then one of the guys comes up with a really brilliant idea and says, why don't we just nail it to the floor? Oh, great idea. So they get some nails, hammer, they nail it to the floor. It's all set up, ready to go. They decorate it. And then in walks Bezos. So the story goes looks at the tree, and then turns it into a teaching moment, asks, why is that tree nailed to the floor? And the answer was, well, this isn't our place. We're just renting. And he makes an illustration out of it and says, look, at Amazon, we have people that own. We don't have people that rent. We don't have people that are leasing a job. We have owners of jobs. And I want an ownership mentality in this company because it really creates an extraordinary culture of excellence. And at Amazon, their leaders are owners. They think long-term, they don't sacrifice long-term value. They don't say it's not my job. They act on behalf of the entire company. They take responsibility and accounting, accountability for decisions and actions. So um, they're accountable people. They think like owners uh, and it creates this extraordinary um, mentality throughout the entire um, experience for the people that work there and for their customers. So it, really is something that we need to work on as an industry is making sure that people that work for us are not renters. They're not leasers. They're owners. They're here to stay and they want to be a part of what we are. To add on to optimizing people, back to basics, set clear expectations and follow up and teach to understanding. A lot of times we set expectations, we follow up, but people don't really understand what we want. And you never forget what you understand, but you can forget what you know. So it goes in one ear out the other, especially if you're busy. So I want to hammer again on implementing a learning management system because they're absolutely critical at this time because it puts control of the learning in the hands of your people. So this is something like Wisetail. Um, there's some various tools that are out there, uh, but you really want to make sure that you're implementing a learning management system because it's going to drive you to document everything. It's going to make you put your SOPs down. It's going to make you make sure that your ops manual is current. Uh, and thorough because that'll create a consistent onboarding and training experience. One of the biggest complaints of people that quit 
because most people quit within the first six months is my training was terrible. So by documenting everything and laying it out, you can get people, number one, on board quicker. Number two, you can get them uh, a better training experience. So and it'll be consistent. So having those uh, learning management systems, having everything documented will allow them to come up to snuff. And years and years ago, I used to have this uh, little training manual in my um, car. And every time I opened up the trunk, it said repetition is the key. Repetition is the key. Repetition is the key. So repetition is the key to um, making sure that you are uh, in control of the um, training experience. Sorry, my phone just rang there. So making sure that you're repeating yourself, the training consistent and reinforces the behavior that you want to see. And then ensure that meal and breaks are in compliance. Uh, recently on a phone call, I threw this one on there because recently on a phone call with an attorney, you mentioned that we have three groups of attorneys, three law offices out of California that are really hitting the Northwest hard and they're going after meal and break compliance. And if you've ever worked or have a business in California, you know that they're really sticky around their breaks and they're very, very punitive if there's an issue. So these then could potentially turn into a class action lawsuit and then end up costing you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, um, if you're large enough. And so they are actively targeting groups of restaurants in the Northwest. So if you have more than one restaurant, very likely that you are you're, you may be on their target list. So you want to make sure that all your meal and your breaks are in compliance, that they're recorded, that people know how to take a break. Um, and this is something that you can work with your attorney on um, because it's, it's bigger than just throwing something in an employee manual. You want to make sure that you're in complete compliance because it is very, very scary. So things to look at on a daily basis when you optimize your people is the in and out times. Are they coming in on time? Are they getting out on time? If not, why not? So is there sales that are associated with those? Um, that would be a great thing. Uh, is it somebody uh, clocking in early and clocking out late because they're slow or disengaged and they just want to pick up their check? That's a bad thing. So make sure you're managing those on a daily basis. Sales per hour worked. Make sure you're spending your labor, not just using labor because you're actually paying for those people to work. You want to make sure that you're spending labor dollars, not just using labor dollars. Ticket times, make sure they're right in the wheelhouse. So you watch those on a daily basis. That can show you how your team is performing on a regular basis. Your guest check average again, make sure that your guest check average is, is uh, growing. Uh, your sales per person, both in the front and the back. And then again, make sure you're managing your break compliance on a daily basis. That is something that we haven't done on a regular basis as an industry very well in Washington State. And it is time that you do that. So there's a question. Yes, uh, we have a question from Kinsey. She's talking about the Yelly app that was developed by a waitress. It's basically an online training manual that continues to give management the ability to issue quizzes and throw out new menu item information and um, also follow the employee's progress. Or does she have a system that they're using Using that like this. So uh, is the question, do do we know of systems that do that? Yeah. I mean something like that as well as the So yeah. that's a that's a terrific that would be a terrific uh, way to go. I think that, that uh, the learning management system, that's where I was going with things like Wisetail and um, tools like that because they they're bigger, they're comprehensive, they can make sure everybody gets the same training um, and that it's consistent. I think that there are a lot of really great apps on there and it's would be fantastic 
to put that into action and get it going. Can I answer Rick, your question, Kinsey? Rick, I'd like to add one thing though, because it's for your workers, I would recommend that whatever LMS or app or uh, application you're looking at, make sure that it's mobile, mobile friendly because that's how your employees will be accessing. Um, most of them probably won't have a traditional desktop computer, but they definitely have an iPad or an iPhone. or. Excellent point, Lex. All right. And speaking of systems, go all in. One of the mistakes that I see people make is that they have an issue and they think by throwing a system in, it's going to fix the issue. When in all actuality, it's the process that's broken. So you record the process, you make sure that the process is smooth, then you layer a system or a piece of technology on top of it. If you do it the other way, you're going to get the same results that you've gotten in the past. It's going to be a system that doesn't work, a system that um, is hard to use for you because the process hasn't been recorded, documented, and smoothed out, and then have the system layered on top of it. You really want to have these repeatable results and that a system will deliver that provided that the um, processes have been recorded. And this is something you can do in every area of your business. It doesn't matter what it is. You can break down and record the, record the process, then layer some kind of a system. And it doesn't have to be technology you know, computer system, it can be just a system or a way of doing things that's replicable, that shows up in your ops manual, and everybody does it this way. Everybody turns a ketchup bottle uh, up a certain way or puts it in a stand. It can be something as simple as that. It's just the system. Everything needs to be systemized, but go all in. The second point there is to use technology, but minimize the number of systems. So not everything has to be best of breed. If you have, you know, 20 different pieces of software where you're logging in to 20 different pieces, Unless you've got lots of time, that can be really uh, distracting uh, and you can forget passwords, so on and so forth. It also can make your training longer. Um, and don't jump on every tool because there's so many great pieces of technology. Every single day, I probably get 10 uh, emails with, hey, try this. Hey, try that. Hey, we'll give you this. Free trial this. Free trial that. Just pick your lane and stay in it. Don't jump on it. Don't go after the best of breed in every single area. Have adequate tools that work really well together. Be able to teach them. Then if there's a best of breed that comes along and you already have that process down, documented, it works really well, and there's a better mousetrap, then you could switch out to it. But be very cautious of jumping on every tool that comes out because it changes very rapidly. And most of the time, these companies want to get out, they want to get market share, and then they want to sell. And then they sell to the same people that you used to use their last tool. So it's kind of like, you know, Waze and Google, right? It's like they built this up, they sell it, they're out. And the tool kind of stays where it is and doesn't move forward as it, as it had. Uh, automate as much as possible, but don't lose that kind of static. Touching that data is really, really important. Touching your processes, really, really important. Don't set it and forget it. Provide useful, accountable daily information to your staff. Things, you know, if you want, if you want to run contests, we see a lot of success with that, right? The reason that they're so successful is because you're communicating that data every day to the people that are performing the work. So providing countable data every day to your staff, um, whether it's just a whiteboard that you write some key numbers on, um, will change your business and make it very um, understandable, easy, and people feel like they're in the know. So um, that's important for the staff. They have to feel like they're owners to build that ownership mentality. They have to feel like they're owners. So mine your data for marketing this is some of the exciting things that I've seen come out of the, the new POS systems is they've been really focusing on marketing. Um, so the ability to build 
these wonderful um, email lists to activate the guests and text messages, so on and so forth. Loyalty programs like Chick-fil-A has um, that use geolocations and they can um, text receipts and um, things like Starbucks where you're building up points and you can redeem them. All of this uh, systemization around the guest as far as marketing and loyalty has been absolutely breakthrough and it has been refined and it's really good. And if you're not on it, you need to get on it. Even if you're single location, people should still be using some kind of a loyalty program because most people now have switched over to kind of a tablet-based system that traps a lot of this data. Um, they'll sell it back to you. You have to subscribe, uh, but it's really great stuff. So optimizing that that uh, marketing data from your POS um, and from your loyalty program is critical for building that repeat business and getting people to bring in their friends too. And then use a great BI tool and share that data. So that chart that I showed you a little bit earlier that came from our BI tool, um, if people understand the data, they can make change to their behavior. So make sure you're using a great BI tool and then share that data out. Is there another question there, Lisa? Yeah, this one's from Sarah. Can you give examples of what you talked about with the front and back of house portioning during idle moments? Yeah, that would be things like uh, if you're, you're portioning out dressings, for example, and you put your dressings in ramekins and things like that, those can all be done by the front of the house. The people on the line, obviously in the kitchen, you know, making sure that meats are weighed out and um, virtually everything is, is all the way down to, you know, French fries or uh, in some kind of a bag or, or apparatus that they're portioned out. Whatever you use the most of, you want to make sure that those get portioned. Uh, and don't be afraid to use the front of the house if there's something that they can do. If they, if you have a line where they can pop on the end of the line and do the, they can do some portioning and it's slow, let them do it. So it doesn't have to just be a back of the house um, activity. It can be front of the house as well. And that's what I'm, I'm talking about. Um, and that really came from one of our clients where they're like, well, the front of the house, they can pop back there and they can help the back as well. And it works really well because it, portioning everything out takes time. And if we don't use a, the idle time to do it, it just doesn't get done. And then we get inconsistent results and we get poor you know, financial hygiene around the cogs. All right. So lastly, optimizing your profit. So as I mentioned, Q3 and Q4 may slow, not to the point where you're going backwards, but your sales increases might be smaller than they have been. It's been a pretty good year for people. So um, Q3 and Q4 may slow and your sales increases might be smaller if you've been up. Uh, and if you haven't been up, it might get a little bit worse. So um, just be prepared for the economy. If it slows down, um, you're going to want to make sure that you can optimize your profit. Every dollar that comes through there, don't take it for granted turn it into profit. Make sure that every additional dollar you're getting in, you're getting 50 cents to that bottom line or or better. Sell, sell, sell to kill a multitude of ills. So if your sales are high enough, it'll fix nearly every problem. So remember those different ways of building sales to attract new guests, increase the frequency of regulars, increase the check average, increase the party size, Private events are huge. I hope that, that if the economy does slow down, that we still have a strong uh, catering season. A lot of our clients are, are uh, very well sold out through the holidays already. So make sure that you're doing lots of um, parties and special events um, and selling out you know, caterings and those kind of things. And then increase it to go. 
as well. Don't forget about that third-party sale. If you've got a POS that allows them to order online, your fees are going to be much better uh, and encourage people get that ingrained into your website for them to order directly from you. Um, and then they can be farmed out by the POS system after that point, uh, but much better rates. But don't be afraid to go. And if it's really disrupting your business, figure out why. Don't just turn off your tablet. It's not, it's, that's like having a whole bunch of people at your front door and saying, sorry, I can't take your money. You know, if people want to spend money, take it. So figure out how to increase those to go sales as well. And then increase your marketing spend. It's time to get visible again. So we've kind of worked out the kinks coming out of the pandemic. So increase your marketing spend. And for those that don't spend anything, other people will. And they'll be seen and you won't. And I'm not talking about just you know running an ad on a billboard. Um, I'm talking about using all the different you know social media platforms. And a lot of times there's people that are better than us putting that out. So you have to spend a little bit of money to have them help you. Um, so don't be afraid to spend your marketing money because um, you need to be seen. Manage your margins and not your percentages. So keep in touch with your margins. Remember back to the stake thing. Don't try to uh, keep all of your margins in line. If you have inflation, just make sure you're making more money off it. And at a minimum, covering your cost increases. But you should make a little bit more money. And don't lose those price increases either. They get sucked up very quickly. You saw that the average at 7.7% menu price increase, that only covered your COGS didn't cover anything else. So you want to make sure that that is, um, that you don't lose those price increases when you raise them, that you look at it and say, okay, this is what should happen to the rest of my P&L. I understand what's going to happen to my COGS. I understand what's going to happen to my labor, but the rest of the P&L uh, should, uh, as a percentage, go down a little bit if you raise prices, um, provided they're not variable expenses like credit card fees and some percentage rents so on and so forth. So make more money even though the percentages may suffer and that it's all about prime margin and prime cost. Use one number for prime cost, one number. So if you make handmade pasta, uh, make sure that the labor component works well for the um, product cost because the product cost would be inexpensive, but if it costs you a fortune on the labor side um, or you have to bring special people in to do it, might not be worth it. So just make sure you manage your prime cost as one number and that'll give you a great prime margin. And the last piece on there, really focus on sales per labor hour. The front of the house, total sales. The back of the house, total food sales. And then set a goal to increase them 10% from wherever you're at. And that'll help drive more profit. It's an easy thing to do. Let's say that you're doing sales per labor hour of $100 and you say, I want to move it to 110. So you do that through efficiency. You do that through proper scheduling, phasing, and you do that through driving sales. So it's a simple and easy way to uh, drive profitability and have one metric that everybody can understand. We have one from Richard, actually, it's kind of, well, it's one. He's just wondering if there are any good trends to, that you could speak about with third-party delivery or with ghost kitchens. Um, ghost kitchens, I still are, I, I think are still on the rise. I think they're um, still relatively immature. They're oftentimes more expensive than you think uh, to run. So you know, if you get involved with them, you got to make sure that you've got the proper setup. Third-party delivery, I think it's still continuing to be strong. Um, I don't think it's ever going to go away. So I think as as we retreat into the winter and people get sick, we'll see that thing spike back up again. Uh, but we've seen an awful lot of people going out to restaurants. It's been a pretty good year for a lot of people. Um, just be prepared for a little bit of a slowdown in this next uh, coming few quarters here. Oh. 
Right. We have another question from Sarah. What do you think about counter service over table service? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question because I, I keep going back to this whole thing of hospitality and how we're kind of missing the mark. And when you think of switching your um, service model, I, I think you have to evaluate that. What kind of talent are you able to acquire? What is the niche of your um, restaurant? Um, and could you convert it to a limited service? And it doesn't have to be all the way down to, you know, come in and order at the table and then we'll call your number, come up and get it. That's more a quick service model. Limited service might be order at the counter. We'll bring you your food, matching up the numbers. That's been going on for years. Love the model because um, it doesn't take a pro server to be able to run food. I, I love the model. And then with the whole order at the table thing, I think that it solved one of the issues. Uh, so for example, if you're able to have the guest order things on their phone as they're sitting at the table, somebody can grab them another beer, another glass of wine, whatever it is, and run it to the table. So I think it's something that everybody should be looking at. If if service is not their thing and, and it's really about the product, they should really be thinking about entertaining um, a limited service model. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a big shock to, to um, the guest. So you want to make sure you're out ahead of that and people understand what you're doing. Okay. We are out of time, but we have one more question. Um, what are your thoughts about restaurants sending emails to their guests about coupons or events or hours? And what would you advise a small local restaurant to do in regards to a loyalty program? Yeah, so a loyalty program, I think, you know, it depends on what POS you're using because there's some inexpensive um, POS systems that are out there. Um you know, not to drop names, but I, I look at uh, things like, uh, you know, breadcrumb, that's whatever they are now, light speed. I look at things like toast that have these kind of built-in abilities to capture this data and then use, the, use those to be able to send uh, things like coupons. If you're in a limited service or a quick service, obviously discounting is what drives traffic in those uh, particular genres. Not so much in full service restaurants, but what I like in full service restaurants is more like give them something else or even in limited service, give them something else. Don't discount your um, product. Add something on. If you need to give them anything, give them a dollar amount, not a particular item, but I, I'm not big on on discounting. I, I like promoting and giving more rather than cutting money out of my pocket when someone comes in. But in a quick service that's what drives the traffic. Those limited time offers that seem like they're a really great deal and you go in and get them. Those are great for quick service. Full service, not as much, but I do like the whole idea. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples was John Howie through the pandemic was really there for a lot of the families in Bellevue where he'd prepare a meal that could simply be reheated um, or the mat or some of these other offers, Gaucho, where you could get kits, buy kits and put them together and you get a restaurant quality meal, but it didn't, you didn't have to take the family out. There's not no, you know, big tip that goes along with it. There's no big time commitment. Um, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And that was all pushed out via email. So, and then it turns into word of mouth. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's my, my night and my neighbor's night the next night or the next week or whatever it is. Um, I thought that worked really, really well. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rick. We always appreciate hearing from you and your wisdom. Fantastic. Well, thanks for the opportunity to speak to everybody today. And I really appreciate everybody's time and attention. And we look forward to the future. Right. Thank you once again to HR Solutions and everybody have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. 
for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.